Sisters, welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women's Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork, and I'm coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I am speaking today with Treasure Mallory, a handbag designer and entrepreneur based in California. We are talking today about all sorts of really great things, including what do you do when you hit rock bottom? So Treasure Mallory, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. I think I heard you speak a couple of years ago on another podcast. Maybe was it Coffee with Makers, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was like, I just was, I I felt, oh, wow, this is great. I found a new friend on the internet who doesn't even know me at all. That's what I want people to get. Every time they hear me talk, I want them to know I am that person that could be your friend. It's wonderful. And I, I, we have had many conversations in my head about all sorts of topics. So we are close, real life talking to me for the first time. I love um, it. So let's get started with just talking a bit about your sewing story. How did you get started with sewing? Like, how do you imagine the roots or origins of your sewing life? Honestly, you know what? My grandmother used to sew way back in the day when I was younger, and she honestly didn't take it too serious. So it was nothing that I took too serious, but I would notice that she would create sporadic little garments here and there. And it was interesting then. From that point, I did teach myself how to hand stitch, but that was pretty much the extent of like my sewing experience. It really wasn't until I went to fashion design school where I actually learned the construction and techniques and all of that. And that's pretty much where my sewing background originated from. So you didn't come to this from like someone who like grew up sewing next to their mother or grandmother or something like this, that you entered this as a professional. Like you basically started your sewing journey begins uh, with some ancestral background because your grandmother Mm -hmm. did it. But the way that it became formalized was through a type of fashion education itself. Yeah. So I I always find that so fascinating. Maybe it's because I am in education as well, but I'm just not just I'm a college professor. And so Mm -hmm. I teach literature. And so I'm used to thinking about teaching and learning all the time. But whenever I hear fashion school or fashion design school, I don't know if you remember that show Fame from back in the day. I'm like, I know. I do. I used to love Fame. And so whenever I hear somebody say fashion school, I imagine that it's like Fame, but with sewing. <laughs> and if y'all are in the cafeteria and everyone's throwing bolts of fabric around and dancing on the tables and sharing interfacing, and these are, these are, this is what I imagine. It's I'm pretty sure. This is nothing at all what it is like. Oh, it was the total opposite. Not even. That would have been nice, but no, it was not like that at all. No one was dancing. There was no dancing on the tables. There was no No. people singing hot lunch in the cafeteria. (laughs) You got to make it the apron for the wait staff. And what were some of your memorable experiences? And I guess I'm asking because maybe it's because I would be very interested, for example, in taking a class in something like maybe not pattern drafting because I don't draw, but Mm -hmm. something like 
learning to alter and change patterns based on body shape. That's something that's very interesting and attractive to me. And so I imagine that you learn all of this kind of maybe anatomy that helps you to shape this. I don't know. What were some of the highlights for you from your fashion education? To be honest, the highlight for me really was just saying that I'm in fashion design school because it was something that was always in the back of my mind. I just never thought that it could be a reality. I think me hitting rock bottom is what pushed me into that realm because prior to that, I don't think I would have ever just done it on my own. So that was the first highlight, just being able to say, this is something that I'm doing because I'm just not in fear anymore. It's just something that I know I need to do. Having that as something Having that actually as a title on my resume or whatever was like honestly the most exciting for me because when I first started, it was literally to figure out what the next step was. It wasn't because, oh, I'm excited to make clothes. I knew I wanted to do that. I had been doing that on my own, just making little side projects, not necessarily sewing, but Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to figure out the next steps of life for me because it had gotten so dark for me that I didn't know whether I was going right or left. Being the fact that I took that step, enrolled myself in fashion design school with no freaking money. I didn't know what I was doing. I was really there to figure it out and kill some time. And then the first, I say like the first year and a half, it's really going back to any college. You're just learning like the basic prerequisites of everything. You have to take these stupid classes that don't have anything to do with fashion. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing here? I really just want to learn how so I could be a stylist and move on. But once I got into the meat of my design program, I think the most interesting part for me was the art classes and drawing and illustrating these naked models. That was really interesting to me. And then I kind of tied that into now I'm making these garments that have to fit on these types of models. And I hated the technical classes like pattern making. All of that stuff was not me. Really underneath it all for me, I am a creative. I am an artist. I just wanted to do all the fun stuff. So all the stitching classes, all the illustrating classes, those were the classes that really showed me you know, who I was as an individual and that I could hone in on this and actually turn this into something creative, a business, which is not what people are teaching you growing up. That's right. It's so interesting too, the way that you talked about enrolling in fashion school as a, as an opportunity of, for discovery, mm-hmm. an opportunity for discovery, because when you said that you were hitting rock bottom, that you had, prior to fashion school, you had been working for a television company, you were acting, you were just doing, all, which was like you said, like, like your dream job, and yet that didn't work out. There was like layoffs and furloughs and all of these things, and you found yourself losing your dream job. Yes. And then you had to find something else. And that something else was fashion school. Mm-hmm. But the way I say it, as if it's two sentences, really <laughs> does not honor the process and all the work you had to do between losing your dream job and finding a new dream. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that process and what you learned from that process between those two events? Yes, definitely. And I'm glad you 
you put it in that light. For you, it's speaking two sentences. For me, it was do or die. It was literally like you have hit this place in your life where you did all this work to get your dream job. You lose your dream job. You don't know what the heck to do because all your life you've been taught, go to school, get a, get a degree, graduate, <clears throat> excuse me, land a good job, work there until retirement, die. That's essentially the journey. This good job should carry you until mm. the rest of your life, until you're 60, 70, 80, whatever. This right. is the thing that should fulfill you. Once I lost that, I was like, okay, this cannot be life. Like, this is it. <laughs> so, yeah, for somebody else looking from the outside, it's just, it's a two-sentence two explanation. For me, it's like, I'm now in this dark space. Yes, I have hit the ground running because essentially I was at Sony and I was losing it. I knew I was a creative. I just didn't know how to pursue that. But once I got laid off, I definitely hit the ground running. I pursued everything under the sun because that was my goal. I get out of this position because I didn't know how I was getting out of that. I just knew something would happen. Got laid off. I hit the ground running. I started pursuing everything that was in my mind or in my in my capability to pursue. Acting, mm -hmm. modeling. I went back to dance for a little bit because I danced growing up in high school. Oh, okay, uh, doing cool. Choreography and all type of stuff. So I was doing everything, Lisa. But then even with that, it was like, this cannot be life because here I am hustling, trying to pursue all these different things, but I have rent. I have bills. Yes, I have yes. student loans to pay back. So that means oh. I'm pursuing these things, but I also have to make ends meet. So I have to be realistic in a sense and work. So now I'm working five, six different jobs, odd end jobs. I'm going to these auditions, busting my ass. Like it was so overwhelming that it took a toll on me. It took a toll on my mental. And so after I auditioned my butt off, finally started to book little things here and there. I had booked a movie, really thought that movie would be the turning point in my acting career. And it wasn't. It was like one day I had a star wagon with my name on the outside and I'm shooting this movie and then I'm going back home to electricity turned off and I barely have food in the refrigerator. So, no, it wasn't that fluid. It wasn't that easy just to transition from having this great job, amazing credit, money in the bank, to not having anything. So, for me, I had to really tap into myself and tap into what it was that would fulfill me. And at that time, I was going through depression like crazy, having to figure out everything on my own and make ends meet and just try to live a happy, decent life. It took a lot out of me. And so I had to tap in really and just sit with myself. And I've said this on previous podcasts and interviews and stuff, but I had that one friend who was like, hey, when you're down to nothing, you got to get innovative. So for me, it was like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but literally I need to figure out what's next because if I don't figure out what's next, I'm done essentially with this life. I was in that dark place. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's easy for anybody to recite. But for me, 
living in that space, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to dig yourself out of that dark hole and then literally have to start life completely over. So me going to fashion design school, I had no money. I had no money. I was still working these odd end jobs. I was losing my apartment. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just move back in with family, which is crazy embarrassing coming from having achieved and acquired all these different things to now having to start over. Yeah, that fashion design was my turning point to figure out what I was going to do next. And yeah, just so much amazing things came from it, but I didn't know that starting out. Exactly. You don't know that at the time, Mm -hmm. you don't know that what you are doing, you don't know where you are in the journey. Mm -hmm. Are you at the end? Are you at the middle? Are you at the beginning? You don't know. And I I do, I just want to honor, you know, what it means to be in an emotionally dark and stressful place. And something that I noticed from all of the work that you were describing, acting or modeling and choreography, is that you were still harnessing your creative energies. Yes. You didn't like stop and just get a job in like, I'm just going to give up my creative pursuits totally and instead do something completely and totally different. It was like you're, you were still leading yourself toward the things that made you happy and satisfied and were honoring your own energy. And I don't know. I just feel like we don't spend enough time talking about the way that black women experience depression, the way that the society in which we live helps to generate that. And so there's so much that's in your story that I find so beautiful, but I think it, I really appreciate the words of wisdom that you are offering for those of us who have indeed found ourselves feeling like you're at the bottom of a well, you know, right? like feeling exactly. like I can't get out of this, but you did, you had friends that could, and also it's, just, it's something that you have to do yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that also makes it so powerful, but also so difficult, right? Yeah. Because your yeah. friend gave you the words of wisdom, but you had to listen to them and take them to heart and create a real action plan, Definitely. which can be hard to do when you're emotionally depleted, you exactly. know? Um, so I, I just want to celebrate that and just recognize that it is indeed difficult to dig yourself out of an emotionally dark place. It I was is. also thinking a lot about the work that you were doing in terms of what, you know, you said you said that you were grinding and grinding and mm-hmm. like it wasn't getting anywhere. And I just want to take a note, like for me, grind culture, the culture that we're in now about hustle and grind and hustle and grind. It's that is not, that's not what life is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, at least in my opinion, it's, it's just like what you were saying before that you're supposed to go to college get your job, stay at that job for 50 years, retire and die. And it's, that is hopefully not anybody's autobiography. I would hope that's not, you know, like, that is not what I want from my life. But it's also this notion of grinding as if it is a positive thing, when in fact, grinding is by definition a, pro- a, a process of extraction and destruction. Like exactly. that's how you, you don't get white sugar out of a green plant. Mm-hmm. without some type of destruction and transformation through that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this idea that some folks are like, I'm just, I love grinding. I love grinding. And you love struggle, sis? Like love struggle. And that's exactly, that is, Lisa, you really just hit that because 
yeah, in the process of me grinding, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. It was not until I came out of that space where I was like, look, this is not okay. I am depleting myself little by little doing a thousand things at once. Like it's not conducive to the life that I want to live. Exactly. And helping us to remember that these things are within our choice. That's the hard part. At least for me, when I get down in that, it, it makes it hard for me to to think clearly, but to remind myself that I've done difficult things before or whatever, that when the depression starts talking to you, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. It's hard not to answer back and say, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, and it's no, it's not right. That's not right. That's not the truth. But mm-hmm. it feels that way when you're feeling really bad. Exactly. And so you landed at fashion school as almost, I guess, as a landing space for you to calculate and figure out what you were going to do next. And so then you leaned into doing that work, even for the classes you didn't love, um, the classes that didn't appeal to you in the same way as illustration, for example. And so I remember reading about the collection that you did. I guess everyone was supposed to do a fashion collection at the end. And you were like, nah, sis, I'm doing something different. And I so have what, this rebellious nature, yes. And so what? tell me about that. So everyone else is working, they're sewing their garments, and you're in the back of the class drawing handbags. <laughs> I mean, essentially, that's what it was. Of course, in order to graduate, everybody has to showcase this line of whatever, but it had to be garment, some type of garment. I know one of my friends did aprons. Another one of my friends did like a whole line. And for me, I had known the moment that I found myself making clothes, I was like, this is not it. This is not it for me. And I really wanted to be a stylist. I did not want to make clothes per se for people. I just wanted to learn the aesthetics of how to sew. So throughout the course of getting my degree, I was just like, this is not what I want to do. Once I figured out handbags was my niche, that's what I was focusing on. We would have these assignments where you have to make this garment, you know, this week and this shirt that week. And every time I would make those things, but I would also make a bag to go with it. So I knew that graduating, I'm not about to present what everybody else is presenting. I've always been the outcast of the group. I like to do my own thing. I hate to do what everybody else is doing. Needless to say, I probably should have followed the rules, but I don't really vision. So I was like, you know, these are just suggestions. These are ask you real quick before you talk about the handbag line. When you were making these clothes, you didn't really, did you turn up, turn in some Gordon Gattrell outfits? I just want to be, I just want to know if you was dropping, look, here's your little sewing here. Pretty much. That's what it felt like. All right, let me pick this ugly little fabric and make you what you asked for me to make you, but it's not what I'm interested in. Nothing was ever fancy. I think the only class that was fancy for me was draping and that had nothing to do with sewing or anything. But yeah, I was really like, uh, let me just make this so they could be quiet. That was pretty much my (laughs) attitude with everything. Nothing ever came out to be like a masterpiece, like my, my classmates. So for me, my masterpiece was making this bag that's supposed to go with this ugly shirt that I just created for you. That was pretty much it. Towards the end of the my second year there, I had to sit you down and discuss your project with you. 
the counselors, president, everybody of that nature. And they asked about my line. And I was like, mm, I don't have clothes. <laughs> they were like, so what have you been doing this whole time? And I said, I've been making bags. And literally everybody's face was like ghosts, like in a row, just looking at a row of ghosts. And really? Yeah, they were, like, they, they were, were they like, long. wow. So were, when you describe that, were they shocked? Were they impressed? Were they worried? Were they like confused? What they, was- were, they were shocked, turned off because I wasn't following protocol. And for me, I was, ex- I was excited. And it wasn't until they said we were supposed to present a line of clothes. And I was like, okay. Well, I didn't want to. I have some stuff you guys can see that I can bring to the showcase, but my calling is bags, and that's what I did. Of course, after all this deliberation and meetings, they were like, okay, Treasure, let us see your stuff, and we'll have to determine if you can showcase this and if you'll graduate. It was literally one of those. Like, this girl really just did her own thing. We did not tell her to do this, but yeah. It surprises me. And maybe it's because I still had that idea in my mind that fashion school is like fame for sewing machines. Mm -hmm. But like you have this, this is like actual gatekeeping. What you're you're describing, no, it's a classic example. You have a committee that's going to decide whether you can advance past this point or not. Like Mm -hmm. it is an actual gate that is closed to you Mm -hmm. and they will decide if it will be open to you. So I I find that so surprising for an industry that's supposed to be about creativity and 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 artistic vision. I am an artist. You should be advocating for me to just create whatever is in my heart. But yeah, it was like deliberation moment. Are you guys serious? So it wasn't until I showed them what I was doing that changed their energy. It went from dissatisfied to, whoa, you've been doing this whole time? And I'm like, yeah, I thought that was the objective. Like, this is fashion design school. Let's be serious. After they saw my stuff, they were like, okay, we'll let you present your line of bags, but you do have to bring some garments along with it. I said, fine, I'll bring what I've made. I'll maybe make a couple other pieces, but this is it. They pretty much wanted me to tie my bags into the garments. I literally, like, you have to present not only physical things, but you have to present like this book of illustrations. And I stayed up like 24 hours just trying to incorporate the two together. So it just made sense for them. And Mm -hmm. of course, day of showcase, instead of people just walking by street professionals that are coming out to hire, looking for young fashion designers to hire. And I got a ton of, a bunch of offers, but the one thing that blew my mind and everybody else's mind was that people were coming by to see my work, but they were also lining up and asking if I was selling these bags. And from that moment, I was like, that's it. This is my business. I had already been brainstorming what type of business I would do for myself because I hate working for people. So Mm. I mean, granted, I don't down talk it. I don't downplay it. It is a part of what we have to do as, as far as survival. But I do believe we all have these different creative desires and gifts. And whether we're working for somebody for the rest of our life or not, we should embark on what feeds our soul. And so... That was it for me. I said, I'm turning this into a business. That is 
perfect. And that's a perfect place for us to take a quick break, everybody. I am talking today with Treasure Mallory from Nikki and Mallory Handbags. And this has just been so great. And it's going to continue. We're just going to take a quick short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how Nikki and Mallory got started. We'll talk about the name Nikki and Mallory, because I'm very curious about that. And we'll talk about what do you do to keep yourself motivated when things uh, get hard? Because as Treasure has explained to us, she has really triumphed and overcome, and she has such beautiful lessons for us. So stay tuned and come back after the break. This Please podcast is really growing. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, for example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five-star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast um, and you wanted to include that, a couple sentences in the review box of Apple makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by Apple, how it becomes more visible. It really is a way to lean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts. Um, So if you had time to do that, to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast, that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster. We are back, everyone. Welcome back to the Stitch Please podcast. And I'm talking with Treasure Mallory of Nikki and Mallory. So I love your name, Nikki and Mallory. I think it's incredibly cute. Can you tell me more about Nikki and Mallory and where that name comes from? So Nikki is my family nickname. My full name is Treasure Nicole Mallory. And my family or people closest to me call me Nikki. And for a couple years prior to starting my business, my mom would always just randomly call me and she'd be like, hey, Nikki Mallory. And I would say, please don't call me. That sounds like a stripper's name. Like, I don't like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, just please call me Nikki. Don't do the whole Nikki Mallory. And then when I was, when I decided to start a business, I went through like a month of just in my head, trying to figure out what I was going to call the business, racking my brain, stressing myself out. And this same day, my mom called me again. Hey, Nikki Mallory. And I thought, wait, that could actually be a great business name because my family knows me as Nikki, this real quirky individual. I'm off the wall to some people. I'm not like this with everybody, but I'm real off the wall, very eclectic, very artsy. And Mallory has always been what people in the professional world would call me because nobody ever took treasure serious enough to say, this Mm. is actually her name. I would get so many people asking me, is that your real name? Is that your government name? So yeah, a lot of people would just say Mallory and I would have to correct them. And I thought the two are really dynamic character. Nikki is a character. Mallory is her own individual. Mallory is more of the sophisticated, like minimalist, very professional. And Nikki is the bohemian, the off the wall, free spirit. And I said, that's it. Nikki and Mallory, because when it comes to my style, I try to incorporate a little bit of both. Like I want clean, sleek designs, but I also have this 
free spirit in me that wants to just throw some animal print on it or something yes. that'll make it a signature piece. So that's pretty much where the name came from. I really love that because at the, at, again, it goes back to some of the most compelling elements of your story that this is rooted in you. It's rooted in your family. It's rooted in your own identity that you basically, you had the answers you needed all along. All along. And it just took you a while. It just took some thinking to arrive there. Because I think that the and is somehow so inspired. I don't know. There's something about the plus size, the plus sign in there between Nikki and Mallory for me. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think the idea of holding two distinct identities in conjunction is what I find so fascinating about it. And I just, and I just can't, I can believe the harassment that you received over your actual name. Oh yeah, I get it all the time. I just, I wrote maybe three or four years ago, I wrote an article on black women's names Mm. and it talked about some of the contempt that black women's names receive as a form of just anti-black racism Mm -hmm. and misogynoir. Because there's this, yeah, that this becomes, I don't know, a thing. And it's, right. no, this is just a person's name. And if we can and should respect what people want to be called, why, yeah, I don't know. The idea of turning someone's name into something that is not to be taken seriously. I have a, I had a friend that had the same issue. Her name is Keisha. Mm-hmm. And she will never, she told me this story when we were back in grad school about how she had, a, was it a teacher or somebody who was like, I'm going to call you something else because I just can't take the name Keisha seriously. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's just racism. That's all. Yes, that that's so, just racism. Oh, that's so tacky. Isn't it though? And I'm so like, it's, it's so bad. It's so bad. So I want to transition to talk a bit about some of the classes that you're doing. And so I have to tell everybody, I told Treasure this earlier. <laughs> one of the reasons that I'm doing this interview, well, not one of the reasons, I've always wanted to do this interview for quite a long time. But I wanted to sign up for a class that Treasure was teaching. And my friend dropped the link into our group chat and was like, hey, y'all, Nikki and Mallory's have a leather bag class. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. You know what? Let me go do a couple, two, three things. And after I get them two or three things done, then I'll hop on the Internet. I'll hop on Beyonce's Internet and sign up for this class. I'm telling y'all, I said I wanted to do a couple, two, three things. By the time I got the letters couple, the, le- the letter C-O-U out of the word couple, that in- that class was gone. gone. That class was full. That class was like, you don't put us at the end of your list, miss. You put us at the start. So this is the closest thing I'm going to get, apparently, at least at the end of this year, of some classes. So tell me about what some of the classes you're teaching. And also, let me ask you this. There are some folks who sell bags mm-hmm. who would not also sell the techniques to make them. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk a bit more about how your resolution to make, design, and sell these bags are not threatened by and maybe even enhanced by the fact that you also sell classes for people to learn. I think for me, starting out, I knew I just wanted to create. It was never really, I wanted to create and I wanted my own business. Granted, yes, the money has been amazing, but it's not about 
just the money for me. I am a creative at the end of the day, and I just want to create. And I think that's what pushed me. Okay, so Nikki and Mallory just turned five, which I'm very congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. So, in turning five, or prior to turning five, I knew that I don't want to sit here and make bags all day long because. It literally takes up all of my time. I don't have time to do anything else. Like I said, I'm a creative. So there's other things that I want to work on or other projects I want to dive into, but I'm not able to because I don't have the space to just create the way I want to, not until I get a team. So for me, I was like, you know what? At some point, if I keep doing this, I'm going to burn myself out because I'm literally sitting on orders and orders at a time. Like I barely have time to eat. So I don't want to keep doing this and I don't want to burn out from it. So how can I pivot this business to where I can still bring income in and still mm-hmm. be able to utilize my creative side? And I had started to get a lot of inquiries from people just asking, do you think you would ever teach? Would you ever teach? So of course that started to play on my brain. And at the time I was working for the Walt Disney company and I knew I'm, I'm slaving away at Disney, but then I'm coming home to slave over bags. And I'm just like, this is too much. I have to find some type of balance and a way to pivot this business because I cannot turn five going into it with this mindset that I might have to shut down because I'm tired now. Knowing I wanted to leave Disney and really wanted to just close the chapter on working for people, I got a request to teach at some workshop space in in the Anaheim area in California without Mm -hmm. any knowledge of how to teach, what to teach, nothing. I just figured it out. I came up with a plan. I was like, you know, I'm just going to try it because it has been in the back of my mind and I keep getting these signs. Maybe this is a confirmation that I need to do it. I pushed forward with it. Let them know, yes, I'll teach this one Saturday. It was really supposed to just be a one Saturday thing for me. And then then what had happened was... (laughs) And then what had happened was that one class sold out. That one class brought me more revenue than I would make at Disney in two weeks. And I said, you know what? That's it. Maybe I should really try this out. People have been flying in for the class. It was like kind of crazy. Did the class, got amazing feedback from it. And I just found myself really fulfilled leaving the class and being able to teach all these different strangers how to make this one freaking bag. And so that was it for me. That was my answer as far as teaching. And in my mind, I also knew this is not knowledge that I want to keep to myself. Like I'm a creator. Mm. Yeah, the money's cute. That will play out after a while. And here I'll still be sitting burned out until I get my team of people. So let me do this. Let me refocus my idea of how I want to run this business. So now I'm going to go back to making bags for fun because I missed that. And I want to make things that people probably won't buy because they'll be so outside of the box, but great. I can use my creativity here, showcase that. 
teach people how to make these bags here and then launch something else that'll appease everybody, which is something that I'm working on currently. But that was the headspace for me. Like, I don't want to do this forever. And if I do, I need a team of people. And for me, I need that time to build my team. So let me fall back on creating on demand and focus on just teaching people. And I have found so much fulfillment in just educating people on the art of leather craft because one there's not even a lot of black leather craft women out there great I have an avenue for me to do this and inspire people but two people are asking for this so you have to pay attention to what your audience is requesting and what I like about what you've said so far is that in saving yourself in saving your sanity you also saved and grew your business. This idea of having to like, and I know I've talked to other entrepreneurs who feel like they're working more than one job. They work the job that pays the bills Mm -hmm. and then they do that from eight to five or eight to six. And then they go home and then they might eat like a fistful of Pringles or something. Mm -hmm. And then they sew or work from 6 PM till two o'clock in the morning and do it all over again. And so it becomes difficult to try to do, to handle, it's like you're burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. It's a lot. It's too much. And I love this business too much to where I just, I can't just let it go like that. I can't go out like that. I've worked way too hard to build my brand and, and my business and, the following that I have to just go out like that because there's been so many days, so many weeks where I'm like, I'm done. I would just go back to work for somebody. I'm done. I gave it a try, but I feel like if I did, that would be me thinking of this business as a surface level business. And I've never wanted it to just remain a surface level business. I want to continue to grow it and expand it as much as I can, but still make sure that I'm healthy and whole in the midst of it all. Yes, I love that. Healthy and whole in the midst of it all. I think that is such a beautiful phrase. And it's it's what we should be doing in order to live full, whole lives. Yeah. We're not meant to just work until we drop dead. You know, mm-hmm. that in terms of having a whole and complete self, means that there's that you're getting energy from a lot of directions. You get energy from work life. You get energy from your friends. You get energy from family. And what you were describing before was this kind of constant process of work. And what you and I also like your comment that you don't want this to be a surface level business. You want this to be something that is sustainable and not just stand, not just sustainable financially, but also you don't want to be driving yourself so hard that you don't have any type of energy for anything that's going to feed and nourish you personally or spiritually or professionally or whatever. You don't want to shut it down because you've just worked yourself too hard. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And so I think that's really important. As we start to wrap up, Treasure, can you talk a little bit about your future classes? And maybe before that, how do you stay inspired? I guess that's one of the questions I have is like, how do you stay inspired it feels like you are evolving and growing your business in so many interesting ways and that some of the great developments that you've had have been so that you can maintain a certain style of personal life, mm-hmm. that you are able to, what they say, work smarter, not harder. And you've been able to do that really effectively. How do you keep that kind of creative energy going? How do you stay inspired 
when you're feeling like exhausted? Or do you use exhaustion as a warning to yourself that things need to change? I think you you put it perfectly. I do now. I didn't before. I use exhausting, being exhausted as my means of you need to fall back. You need to take a break. Granted, it is it's not that easy for me. I am a bit of a workaholic, and I think me being a workaholic is what inspires me. When I'm sitting for too long, I get bored. <laughs> I get bored. I kind of need to be doing something like Granted, I love my days off. I love my time to just bask in peace and stillness. I love going to the beach and just vibing out. I would love to do more traveling, but it's really only those little things that keep me inspired. Me kind of tapping into other realms of my creativity is what inspires me to keep going. And a part of that is to stand busy and not stand busy just for the hell of it. Like I don't, I really don't ever want to go back to doing that, but because I really love it, I love to create. It inspires me. It motivates me. It just opens up my mind to like the possibilities of what we can be and become. And because it's not so much about the money for me, I just, I really just love creating. So that is really the only thing that keeps me inspired. And and what advice would you have for someone who is at, you know, one of those low or frustrating stages where you found yourself now, not now, where you found yourself before? I feel like listening to your story right now, it sounds like this is a dream come true. You found another dream job. You're able to set your hours to a certain extent. You can say, I will do this. I will not do that. You're able to make a lot more of your own choices in way and so about your work life in the ways that some other folks aren't yet able to do. What kind of advice do you have for people who are at either that just really that point of despair, that point of frustration? What advice do you have to help someone lift themselves out of it or to get support to get lifted out of it? You know what? It is a little challenging to offer that type of advice only because I've been there and I know what that place looks like. I know how it feels to have to dig yourself out of that space. It takes so much strength that it's honestly like no words can really help somebody out of that space. For me, I would say take some time to yourself and take yourself out of the world for a minute, mentally and emotionally. And I say that because the world comes with all these different rules and comparisons and there's just too much energy you really have to tune yourself out and be realistic about what you want your next step to look like because we can manifest anything we want literally everything I've done up until this point I have manifested and when I say manifest that just means you have to believe in yourself so much that nobody can deny you It's not about anybody else. It is really about you at the end of the day. You cannot look so down on yourself to think you cannot, you're not capable of accomplishing something. You can accomplish anything. You can have anything. You can create the atmosphere and the life that you want, but you have to believe in yourself. So you just have to 
not just believing yourself, but be realistic about what the next steps may be, whether that is to work at this job I don't like for the next couple months, but create a plan for yourself, create an exit strategy. If you want to start your own business, if you want to do something creative on the side, you just have to be realistic and you have to find a way to truly love yourself and hone in on what's inside of you without the opinions or criticism or objectiveness of others like it is solely about you and for me I knew nobody else can make my dreams come true nobody else can do this for me nobody else can start this business so I have to shut everybody up in my mind first so that I can tap into the fullest part of me to become whole and complete and this full being it takes a lot it's a whole lot of work but it is so very possible Oh my gosh, Treasure, that is a word. You really did leave us with a word. I am going to ask you now about future classes because I don't want to ask you any more questions because you just <laughs> you just answered all of the everything. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's talking about me. She's talking about me. And I hope that your words reach other people as well to encourage so them true. because so much of what we manifest, so much of what we see in the world now was manifested by someone who maybe wasn't sure they could do it. Mm-hmm. And even like for me having a podcast, even me creating Black Women's Stitch, I did not think that I could do it. I did not right. think I did not think I could have retreats. Like I did not think that I could have an organization. I did not think that I could have all of these things were like, do you really want to do this? Are you sure? Are you mm-hmm. sure? And and I've done it and I am so happy. Right. I am just, I'm just so happy. I'm telling you, it will change your whole outlook on life. Once you accomplish that one thing, and I, I don't know how it's become that people just allow fear to to consume them. But once you get around that corner of fear, oh my gosh, the possibilities? What? Like, you can't tell me anything. Girl, yes, honestly. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Now, tell me about the classes you have coming up because I am going to do a much better job this time. (laughs) And And you will actually see my name and payment information under the registered students section and not the sad section of people who are like low-key mad at her friend that she got to take the class and I didn't. (laughs) Okay, so I do plan, and this is also a work in progress because I have a lot of things that I'm launching in the new year, but towards the end of January, I do plan to reopen virtual classes and hopefully do a little bit more in-person classes out here in California. But I've been working with these two or three styles for the majority of the year or teaching these two or three styles. So I'm ready to rev it up a little bit and incorporate some new designs. Like I want people to literally learn how to make bags that they can carry for months to come. Not just these rinky dink little projects that I'm charging you an arm and a leg for that you can't do anything (laughs) with. Like that's not helping us. So uh, yeah, I will have some new classes coming January 2021 and of course the months thereafter. That is fantastic. Treasure Mallory, this has been such an honor and delight to speak with you. I really feel like talking with you about how one moves from a dark place into a place of fulfillment of vision and how you don't let, how you were able to I don't know. Let is the wrong word because Mm -hmm. it's not about letting or not letting. It's really about doing the work and the work that you did to develop a firm belief in yourself 
regardless of outside circumstances mm-hmm. is is a hard thing to do. So in addition to like working with leather, which I always find very hard and unforgiving because once you sew it and then you unsew it, you, it's still the holes are still staring at you, yes. um, <laughs> rebuking you <laughs> for your errors. But you but you can do hard things, and I think sharing your story, which is so beautiful, with us has inspired us. At least it is. At least it has inspired me. Um, and reminded me that I can do hard things too. So Definitely. Treasure Mallory, thank you so much for this. It's been beautiful. Where can folks find you on the socials? And I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes. Definitely. And thank you before I even get into that. I truly appreciate you. I appreciate anybody that's creating a space for artists and creatives to use our voice. So thank you for this opportunity. You can find me at... Nikki and Mallory, which is just N-I-K-I-A-N-D Mallory at Instagram. And then my website, www.nikkiandmallory.com. Fantastic. Thank you again so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing transcripts and other things to strengthen the podcast and finally if financial support is not something you can do right now you can really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them so i know that not all podcast um, directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the stitch please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together